Broadcasting live from the Phoenix Business Radio X studio in Tempe, Arizona, you are tuning in to Culture Crush with Kendra Maples. This podcast will dive into a variety of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Culture Crush Business Podcast. On this podcast, we focus on everything surrounding businesses with a good company culture. We do a deep dive with company leaders that are crushing it with that great culture, as well as bringing in um, a variety of companies that are out there to provide resources for improving company culture. And so today we have a little bit of both, and I'm very excited. I've talked with both of these individuals quite a few times, and so I'm excited to bring both of you into the room and into the conversation together especially on this platform, because it is very much like a coffee chat conversation based around the theme of, of culture, right? So I hope both of you, you know, ask each other questions too. I don't need to be the only one asking questions. My favorite is when this really turns into a conversation. So the two individuals that I have today, we have Neville Billamoria, the SVP of Marketing and Community Relations for Mission Fed. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you. And then today we have you on with Kathleen Gramsey, the founder and CEO of a company called Kinesage. Happy to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here. And like I said, I've talked with both of you a few different times. And so now I get to bring both of you into the conversation and really just talk about all of this conversation, especially nowadays. I feel like it's coming up even more with um, companies and people dealing with quite quitting and all of these things. And so we'll dive into all of these areas that we have time in the hour conversation. Um, but I do want to start and let everyone know a little bit more about the both of you and your background and kind of how you've gotten to this spot. So Neville, I'm going to start with you since you're the one up on the screen today. So tell us a little bit about you, your background, what are you doing with Mission Fed? And, you know, how did you get tied into this conversation of culture with us? Thank you. And thanks again for including me on this call today and having a generative conversation together. Uh, I grew up in India. My mother's English. My dad was Indian. And I grew up there till I was 14 years old. We moved here with one suitcase each to start life over for the, to live the American dream. Uh, my degrees in communications from UC San Diego. And after working in various uh, agencies, ran my own agency and ended up a recruiter saying there's a bank, because apparently they didn't know the difference between a bank and a credit union, looking for a senior vice president. Are you interested? And I said, hey, first of all, do I look like a banker to you? And second of all, I'll talk to anybody. And <laughs> long story short, here I am 20 years later, senior vice president. I joke I'm the non-finance guy on the executive team. I'm not your Excel spreadsheet cutter. I I'm the person who's out in the community uh, building our brand, growing our members, and doing our community relations and giving. That's the external side. Uh, internally, for me, my, my journey, my professional journey has been about not just brand as marketing, but brand as culture. Mm -hmm. It's a little harder to make that investment to make sure your culture is authentic and what you present in your marketing and other communications is consistent. But that work for me is what makes culture really matter. And we've got a bunch of Experts far smarter than me. Uh, Einstein, not everything that counts can be counted. Peter Drucker, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Kaplan and Norton, who came up with a balanced scorecard. 75% 75 of your strategic value comes from strategic 
assets you can't measure. So culture increasingly has been important, even though it's a harder to measure on balance sheets. And even more so today as we are in this pre post-COVID environment and great resignation, great migration. I prefer great rethink. We can talk about that mm-hmm. in a little bit, but how we're we can, it's an opportunity for all of us to stand up and support our stakeholders, including our employees, obviously, inside organizations. And I think culture is the driver of that. Finally, uh, I'm a practitioner and lover of the wisdom traditions. I, I mentioned my East-West kind of orientation. So I try to bring both the wisdom traditions of 2,500 years ago and the modern science of 2,500 milliseconds ago. And when they both say the same thing, I pay attention. So I try to hold both those spaces. Kind of That's who I am. And hopefully that was a helpful introduction. I love that. And that last part is actually what drew me to bring you and Kathleen into the conversation together is that mindset of where you come at with this culture conversation and then the conversations you and I have had about mindfulness and everything. That is what drew me to go, oh, wait, (laughs) I have to match the two of these together. So awesome. Thank you for that. Kathleen, tell us about what do you do? Tell us about your business and then how you got tied into this conversation with us today. I'd be happy to. And there is definitely a lot of similarities. So yes. great call on bringing us together. I can see it already. <laughs> um, so my basically, I've had a 20-year personal and professional relationship with body-mind resilience. Mm-hmm. On the personal side, I was a massage therapist. And a year into my practice, my body was killing me. So I had to figure out a smarter way to work. And I went to the nervous system and basically said, "If how can I use a body's design for movement instead of force to be smarter and be able to continue? So that's what I did. And that's actually how I created this system of movements that released the chronic underlying tension patterns I had in my body. Mm-hmm. So I coined it as kinesage and I made it into a method of massage using movement and the nervous system to release things like sciatica, carpal tunnel, uh, soft tissue disorder issues that my clients had. So named it Kinesage Massage Through Movement. And then um, fast forwarded the next thing a few years later, there's other therapists that have the pain that I no longer had. And so I was now teaching it. I became a, a national uh, continuing education instructor and took all my stuff and put it into curriculum mm-hmm. and taught it around the country to occupational physical massage therapists. Then the next thing that hit my radar was in 2015 was the opioid epidemic. And it was like the universe tapping me on the shoulder saying, okay, now this needs to be for everybody. Mm -hmm. So that's when I retired from my practice and then went into, um, I still continue to teach why I developed everything into a virtual system for the public. And of course, when I look at where is the public greatest impacted, it's in business, right? There's 75% of the reason why people miss work was muscular skeletal. So I brought it into business. And then when I got there, I realized there was this bigger problem, Mm -hmm. which was chronic stress. And in fact, it was so prevalent that people didn't even recognize they had pain because they were so busy and distracted in by the chronic stress. Mm-hmm. So that's when I got into this, um, let me teach you some other things, which was using the nervous system to switch the nervous system out of that survival mode into the restorative side where we can be great people. We can be all the good that we already are. And really, that's what brought me to this point, because when we were talking um, Really, how I see culture, the basis or the similarity is that culture, we look at it from when I I have this root, you know, cause mindset of a clinician. So when I look at things, things that the companies are trying to solve for Mm -hmm. attrition, retention, um, culture, all these things are trying to fix or change 
you know, not necessarily, you know, a sales, new sales training isn't necessarily going to get that, right? Mm -hmm. There's not to say that those other things aren't valuable, but getting to the root of it is really the nervous system. And when you look at what we've all been through, the trauma that people have been through for the past two and a half years, it's critical to really look at that because that's where it all starts. And that's what we're seeing in these in cultures and behaviors that um, we're trying to change. So that's why that's how we we're here to have this conversation, which I'm excited about. And I love the transition that you made and that now it is a direct correlation with improving company culture. Absolutely. Um, because so often we're looking at the the other pieces, right? Oh, the retention and the perks and, oh, we have to have pinball or we have to have snacks in the cafeteria or whatever. But we're all still coming to work with our own stress and baggage that we have from home. And then we're going to work and then we're getting even more stress. And then that stress we take back to our home, right? We're just kind of going back and forth with stress and and we're holding on to it. Our body's holding on to it. And so that was a big part of why I wanted to bring both of you into this conversation because, Neville, you're so involved in mindfulness and we've talked a lot about conscious capitalism and things like that too, all of this balance, right? It's not just go to work. It's your body that you're taking with you to work and back. And so we're seeing all of this chronic stress affecting the culture. And so I just want to kind of start the conversation with that. Like how... How does this start? How does how does a company leader even start to recognize that this is an area to focus on? Because Neville, you mentioned it in the very beginning. Culture is very hard to pinpoint what to do and how to improve it because in most cases, there's not a number. Now, once you start to do it for a while, yeah, you're going to see some things. You're going to see employee happiness improve. You're going to see the retention is longer, right? You're going to see that stuff in the end. But in the beginning, there's not a lot of numbers where if a leader has Kathleen come and work with their staff, it's not like next week. They're like, look at the numbers. Culture's great. <laughs> like, that's not how it works. So that's kind of where I just want to start this conversation of like the mindfulness and you working with employees. Like, How does that even start with with leaders and Neville, what you're seeing from your side of this as well with the workplace? Well, I definitely start with leaders mm -hmm. because one of the things that is um, a real a challenge in terms of when people have been in trauma or in chronic stress, mm -hmm. it's kind of like this very insidious but unknown thing that people are contending with that they're not even realizing it. So, for example, it's like wearing, you know, those glasses that turn darker, right? Those automatically darkening glasses. Mm -hmm. And then you walk into a room and you're not aware that you're still looking through the dark lens. Mm -hmm. That's what happens over time with chronic stress. And it mm -hmm. affects how we think, how we act, how our, um, so basically our thoughts, our emotions, our behaviors, and our physical health. Mm -hmm. So what happens, though, but it's this kind of just, it's very... Um, it just kind of sneaks up on you. Mm -hmm. So what we haven't really talked about when we're looking at all this culture, like we're aware that there's been a huge disruption and that people are stressed where there's lots, I got zillions of surveys on stress and burnout, but what, what it's not really like the making that correlation between why is this happening? Mm -hmm. Right. Why are people acting like they're, why do we have this crazy violence that's going on? Why do we have such incredible, this, where there is no discourse, right? It's just 
It's just polarization where people are not even willing to listen to each other. Mm -hmm. What is going on with people that their fuses are so short that their interest in waiting or having any tolerance or having any acceptability for anything other than I want it different now? Mm -hmm. What's what is that? And it is the nervous system. Mm -hmm. So it's this, you know, it happens over time. It's a distortion of how we how we think, feel and act. And so bringing that awareness is as simple as saying to a leader, how, how stressed are you? You know, and I don't know any that aren't, right? I mean, this is a time of incredible leadership required. And, you know, how much sleep do you get? How good are you at what you, how your eating habits is? How are your relationships? Mm-hmm. How, you know, do you get along with your, with your staff? Do you get along with your leaders, like your senior leaders? Is there a lot of derision in your, you know, look at your teams. Just all you got to do is see how people are acting. Yeah. And so, but when you take it to them first, what would it be like if you, you know, you could feel like you could have a breath to be able to really critically think through something rather than feel like you have to make a decision right now. Mm -hmm. So it starts with them having the awareness of like, oh, I'm not operating on my best. Mm -hmm. And who I'm being is the culture because I'm leading this. And so helping them get that then really helps them to see, I can change myself. And in doing that, I'm going to start this this shift, this tidal wave of people being able to A, acknowledge, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a lot that people have been contending with. It's a lot to deal with life as it is in this moment. And so they get to be the leader of their own, like helping them model resilience. So then they can lead in it is really is the first approach that I take. Mm Mm-hmm. Neville, do you see that as well, especially in your position on how you can, you know, support your team? I do. And first, I want to honor Kathleen for having the courage to um, hold the space for us as humans to create environments where we can be optimized in our personal functioning, in our teams and in our community. I, I think your point about the opioid crisis and diseases of despair, where the longevity of Americans actually declined as a result of a whole new category of diseases called the diseases of despair that in part were around the opioid crisis, but also suicide, a host of of challenges that if we were not paying attention, we really need to be paying attention to because uh, for one of the most modernized, innovative countries, um, global countries on the planet, our numbers are going bass backwards. And this is should be super alarming. The quality of life and the quality we're experiencing as individuals is is at risk. Mm-hmm. So what, what is the intervention, right? So typically scientists uh, create an inter- intervention to figure out how to solve the problem. In your example, you've been using me search, not research. And you use your own felt experiences to say, hey, this is this is not working. We need to find another way to do this. So as much as I'm a fan of data and research and as as much as there's plenty of research to support why this is important, let's start by inviting ourselves all into this conversation and getting super real about how we are doing. How are we feeling now? How is your stress level? What are you doing to combat that? How is that working? The old model of stress was, can I cope? Can I cope? Right. Mm -hmm. The model of stress is when demands exceed resources, you have stress. And the fact that you're stressed suggests you actually give a spit. You care. You, if you didn't care, you just blow it off. So, this, so cha- mm-hmm. changing the conversation around stress, particularly in a post-COVID environment, 
making it okay to not be okay with all the mental health issues we're, we're managing and fostering an environment of resilience because stress over time leads to burnout. And that's brutal. Yes. That kills your spirit, that kills productivity, that creates all kinds of business challenges. But let's not even talk about the business challenges quite yet. Let's talk about the human challenges and how we can optimize the human potential. So kudos for having the courage to lean in and turn your own stumbling blocks into stepping stones and help all of us navigate this new world order where we need to be okay with not being okay. We need to destigmatize mental health. We need to manage and understand stress in its current framework. Um, and yeah, it begins with tone at the top, conscious leadership. So, you know, authentic embodied experience is what we're looking for from conscious leaders. Right. You can say who we are, speak so loud, they can't hear what we're saying. Correct. If, if, if you're talking a good game, but your stress is off the charts, you have crappy sleep hygiene, you're eating poorly, your exercise is inadequate, your time in nature to de-stress and, and connect with something bigger than yourself it doesn't exist. You can talk talk to your teams all day long, but they're like they're like, yeah, but look at you. Correct. So mm -hmm. correct. So uh, it it does start with some attendance and ownership of each of us to being uh, the conscious leader that we're looking for. The guys in the white horses and big cowboy hats ain't coming, people. You're the one that the world is waiting for. That's right. So it, it's time for each of us to stand up, be counted, be present, and take ownership for our own health and well being for our families, for ourselves, and for our organizations. So that that's where I'd begin the conversation. And then, yes, of course, people have personalities and companies have cultures and our ability to then shape and influence cultures, right? The, we walk into some organizations and we can feel that palpable mojo in the dojo, hence my background here, right? Mm -hmm. And other places it's kind of flat. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> some people that walk into a room and light up the room. There's some people that walk out of a room and light up the room. <laughs> Which one do you want to be? How do you want to show up? What is what is the experience in your organization? So I think we're back to my point about the great rethink. Mm -hmm. I think we've been afforded an incredible opportunity to rethink our relationship to ourselves and to work. I am cautiously optimistic that we're making good informed decisions about taking care of ourselves, mm -hmm. about loving ourselves, about creating balance in terms of what matters most. And focusing on things that you historically could not measure, like culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, Gallup's been, been doing engagement studies as uh, using engagement defined as discretionary energy or effort that one chooses to give above and beyond what you have to do to keep your job. And they've been measuring this forever. But it's only one metric. And like you said earlier, just because you can't measure doesn't mean it's not important. So our own me search, not just research, to ensure that we are living fulfilling, productive, meaningful, purposeful lives. And our connection to our world of work is, is landing as we would hope, is going to foster the next generation of workplace excellence. Mm -hmm. Left to its unnatural conclusion, what we're going to see is more burnout, more stress, more disengagement, uh, more health issues. More and conflict. Yes, yeah. And more conflict, more yeah, conflict, sure. internal conflict and inter interpersonal conflict. So yeah. you're right on. It begins with our nervous system. And we live in the information age, but we need to attend to the energy too. And in the balance of information and energy, again, quantum medicine and the wisdom tradition say is that right environment where our relationship to ourselves and our relationship to our environment is in balance with both information and energy. And unfortunately, we privilege information at the expense of energy. I'd invite us all to think about the energetic that informs your culture 
uh, and your relationships, because th- those are the things that are going to enlighten you. And I don't mean that like, boof, light bulb go off, mm-hmm. but I mean, liberate you. Mm-hmm. Those are things that are going to foster your own excellence. And those are things that are going to help us change the uh, direction on this climate catastrophe and conflict and all the other significant challenges we're facing as a species, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. One of the things in to add to that, Neville, because I think you're you know really hitting an important point about this balance between information and energy. And one of the one of the most important things is to understand that we have much more power than we know because we have primarily in our society that has been more outer directed in terms of results and things outside of ourselves. We have typically will measure that and then we we value that, right? Like how much can you produce? Which is great. And if you're doing it at the expense of who you are, right, that's what happens. That's how you get to burnout. Mm-hmm. So in, able, in order to be able to really look at this and, and teach people, our society teaches people like, you know, as a Western society, it's it's, you know, we, we went to surgery and pharmaceuticals. Right. Mm-hmm. Those that's the primary way that it's an it's a hit the results. We will never mind prevention. We're going to work on the <laughs> the effect side. Right. Like, what are we going to do now? Side. Yeah. The and, reactive side. Right. And so when we start to learn that we have the ability to change who we're being in the sense of we can respond rather than react. But if we understand that we have a nervous system that is designed for threat, is designed for survival, Mm -hmm. then we can use that information to understand when we understand it and know how to direct it. We now have more power over our mental capacity. We have more power to make better decisions. We have more more power to regulate ourselves so that we can make informed decisions, so that we can get along better with other people, so we can come up with this innovation and creativity that is so required now. The irony is... It's a time where we need more innovation, more creativity than ever. We need people to be excellent and expect managers to be excellent at developing and managing other people. Mm-hmm. Yet we're like there is no thought of the fact that if you can't even have a handle on yourself, you are not even in the side of your nervous system where those things are possible. And yet all the I call like that middle, you know, senior to supervisor level, the stress sandwich, because they're expected as part of their job criteria to manage and develop other people. And yet they don't have the you don't have the capacity to do that if you are stressed. If mm-hmm. you are chronically stressed, it is literally neurologically not available. That's in the side where we get along with the teacher, when we like each other, when we get along with each other. Right. That's when we can think all those skills we need right now are only in the restorative side. So teaching people, you can shift yourself back to that side and doing it in the culture. So this is now part of our culture that we value resilience. We want to know how, how do we get more resilience? How do we mitigate the stress? How can we take action steps and active steps and create a sustainable strategy, not just for the viability of our company, right? Not just for, does not for the the bottom line, but as a organization of people, mm-hmm. how can we individually become more sustainable within ourselves? And as an organization, then how can that sustainability that starts with our own nervous system and our ability to be able to think and feel and work with people better, how can then we take that as the organization of the culture that says, okay, these are the innovations we want to do. This is how we're going to affect climate change. This is how we're going to tackle this particular issue or problem. Mm-hmm. So. With all of this, I mean, we've 
we've talked, you've mentioned it a couple of times today too, Neville, of conscious business leaders. And so I feel like this conversation is getting better, mm-hmm. right, with leaders and maybe also just because of the people that I'm around, right? It's in conversations that I'm in, mm-hmm. but I have put myself in those conversations that lead to focusing on mental health and learning from you, Kathleen, and and how it all affects the big picture of culture and business and, and just people mm-hmm. at the end of the day. But like I said, I've put myself in those conversations. So I am part of that. What are those action steps with these business leaders that maybe aren't those conscious business leaders yet? They're just those business leaders that are running through a business in stress and fear and whatever. They're just trying to, you know, run a business at maybe the bare minimum that they're doing. But how how do we start to support those companies and start to activate that mindset so that they become those conscious business leaders and then they understand what you're talking about with the nervous system. You and I talked about this before of the nervous system functioning in that that threat side, right? That fight flight. I mean, that's that's animal nature. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what they do. You either go eat that animal for food or that animal is going to come and eat you. Like, that's where it all started from, right? So how do we, if people are listening and they're maybe not over that hump, they're not in those conversations, like we're in those conversations. Mm-hmm. How do we help them be part of those conversations and start to take these mindful steps to to get to this point and understand this or learn about it or read about it? I can start and I'm sure we'll have plenty of ideas about this one. <laughs> so, so first of all, uh, meet, I think it's really important we meet people where they're at. Yes. So I, I don't want to somehow create some class system around conscious leadership where some are woke and all, you know, got it all together and others are struggling and clueless. I, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a flawed approach and it, it doesn't, it doesn't lead to a generative approach and, and self-understanding and then uh, uh, striving for self-improvement. Mm-hmm. So whatever we're feeling, I think first, first is about getting real about where we're at on that journey. And that, let's just say we're not, quite aware of what conscious leadership might be or how we could be a little more skillful. I use the word skillful intentionally because if it's a skill, it can be taught. If it can be taught, then you can learn it. Then it's like, instead of me going, I'm such an idiot. I'm so lame. I, I can't believe I did that again. Then I get into the blame and, and self-deprecating stuff. As opposed to saying, you know, in that last conversation, my wife, I was unskillful. I want to apologize to you. I could have done better than that. That, that leaves room for growth. Mm-hmm. So if you think about this as a skill set, a heart set, a mindset, and a skill set that you're trying to cultivate, and that we're all on a journey together. And at any point, we're at different places on the journey. That kind of makes the entree point to this conversation a little bit easier. So that'd be the first thing I'd say. Let, let's let's park the guilt and shame and blame game and all that business, and just get just start by being a little more honest with yourself, and not, because that that's the starting point. So mm-hmm. and meet yourself where you're at too. Mm-hmm. Two is I, I love the. Pathogenesis versus salutogenesis, my words, but your topic, your your concept, Kathleen, that, you know, the West is typically damn good at solving surgical uh, surgical issue or, or dealing with something once it's happened. But the East tends to be better at keeping you well in the first place. So you don't actually don't have to get sick. So do we want to be more preventative? Do we want that ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure orientation? Or are we willing to, wise soul said, you know, we spend our youth trying to make all the money uh, and but are willing to give up our health, and then at the end we're willing to spend all our money to get our health back, and it's not reversible. At some point, if if you go too far down the rabbit hole, you, I don't care how much money that you could have enough money to buy ice cream in hell, 
you're not going to be able to reverse what you did over a chronic, pervasive uh, life experience. So it's about lifestyle choices and how we want to show up. Unfortunately, you're right. Neurobiology is wired that we're, we have Velcro for the bad stuff and Teflon for the good stuff. And our reptilian brain, get our operating system gets, gets hijacked under stress. So these ideas about creativity, innovation, all that, just go to hell in a handbasket. Using Maslow's hierarchy of needs and just boiling the ocean quickly. Uh, psychological and physical safety at the bottom. Love and belonging in the middle. Significance and purpose at the top. When you're psychologically feeling unsafe, talking about significance and purpose doesn't work. You can't look upstream and go, oh, yeah, I could be a little more purposeful in my actions. Correct. But when you're, when you're coming from a place of significance and purpose, you can look down and say, wow, that person's not feeling psychologically safe. How can I help them be psychologically safe? Mm -hmm. uh, we're trying to build cultures of innovation and value ourselves as a, a country of innovation. But the predicate for that is, is having high trust environments. Because if I, if I, the second I fail, you go, you failed, you're no good. We're never going to let you do that again. I'm going to seize up. I'm going to go back into my reptilian brain and I'm going to go, okay, I'm never going to try that again. By definition, to be innovative, you have to fail. So we have to create environments where it's safe psychologically and physically, where you belong. That, that's the intersection of diversity, equity, inclusion, this whole DEI conversation. The center point is I belong, I matter, my voice counts. And then you, we can talk about these highfalutin ideas about conscious leadership, significance, and purpose and all of that. So Long story short, I think we all need to take stock of our own circumstance, mm -hmm. how we want to show up. I think we need to be loving and kind with ourselves to navigate that. We all need coaches. So if you're going to change your mindset, skill set, and heart set, it doesn't hurt to learn from other people's experience if they've been there before you and can the learning from your own experience is the most bitter. Learning from other people's experiences. We don't want to do it till it happens. Then we're like, God, I wish I'd learned from you. That would have saved me a boatload of agony. Um, and then we keep sending that intention out. And like you said, uh, Kinder, we are judged by the company we keep. The data suggests you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. So if they all tend to be smokers, you'll be a smoker. If they all tend to be obese, you'll tend to be obese. So choose wisely who you hang with. They are shaping you. And yes, maybe your consciousness is lifted because you're being intentional about journeying with kindred spirits on that journey, right? And so as a result, wow, everyone's talking about it. Well, no, everyone's not talking about it. Your gang and your tribe and your peeps are talking about it because it's important to them. So let's surround ourselves, let's suffuse ourselves with people that share our values and our aspirations to be better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One of the things you said, Neville, that I think is important is when you're talking about being able to meet people where they are mm -hmm. and these people that, you know, they're to your point, right? If everybody's stressed there, it's, it's, it's highly unlikely that they're going to be able to come and talk about these higher levels of things because their nervous system is keeping them in that place. However, that is not a, a sentence, right? Because we know that there are very simple things we can do. This is why there's yoga, there's breathing, this is why there's meditation, this is why people say go out and sit in nature, mm -hmm. do things that make you happy, whether that is being with playing with your kids or what is it that absolutely just allows you to be in a happier place. And we 
can we regulate ourselves? We can help re-regulate each other with something as simple as smiling at someone. Mm -hmm. Like the things that we learned as a child, which is what do you do when you're going to meet somebody new? First of all, you look them in the eye, you put out your hand and you smile as you shake their hand firmly. Well, that is all nervous system regulation that is telling us we're safe to your point about the psychological safety. So it's really about understanding where people are, leaders that aren't yet there, and talking to them about what's important to them, which is, of course, is going to be the external, our profits are where we are, you know, in terms of our company and what we need to do in our objectives. Mm-hmm. When you can start to help them see and reframe that their goal to have a highly profitable company, if that's where they're focused right now, and this idea of culture, which they don't understand what that is and why do I have to have it and this is foo-foo and why do I care? Mm-hmm. When you can start to tie those things together, which is, you know, wh- where is the data comes in, right? If they do, I suggest they do an assessment, right? Do an assessment of, so the, the MIT Sloan did a great study, which was they asked CEOs, what's the top three things their employees want? And it was ironic because the top things they said were the bottom three things that employees actually said <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah. So CEs, CEOs said, of course, it's pay and benefits, right, are the top two. Uh-huh. No, for That's employees, not. it was being valued. Mm-hmm. It was um, having input, having being able to grow, to be respected. Those are the things that really, you know, arc the culture piece. Mm-hmm. So tying the objectives of the organization to helping them see a map that shows how why culture matters, why it is the basis of uh, retention, or in a very tight workforce market that we have, people, you know, highly skilled people have the advantage in terms of if I'm looking for a position, I certainly have more leverage now than I did before, before the pandemic and before we found out and it was proven that people are very productive on their own. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be micromanaged. Mm-mm. And so that's given the workforce leverage, which I think is a great thing because it really does, you know, whether or not... Um, leadership of a certain company, if whether or not they're on board about it, the economics of it are kind of having them have to take a look at it Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's too painful if they're not because their bottom line is showing that, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that there's, that's where pain is helpful in the sense of can, you know, sometimes pain is the only thing that'll get people to change their perspective. And so that's where it can be helpful to then introduce these ideas or show them, connect the dots of, how when people are psychologically safe, feel a psychologically safe, then they can focus. They can be more creative. They can contribute. They care, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then you can connect the dots. But I, to your point, I think you have to see where they're at. And then how can we help them bridge mm-hmm. from what we know is ultimately the sustainable best answer for everybody, all stakeholders? How does that relate to what their main objective or um what they feel their pressure is to accomplish. Yep. And these conversations have changed so much over time and over the years. Um, Even just 10 years ago, you went to a job, your job, the top purpose of that job was to have benefits and pay so that you could go home and feed your family and go to the doctor and pay bills. It was that kind of that basic level. And so there is a lot of pressure that's being put on leaders and businesses now because they do have to look at it from such a wider scope and dive into the fact that culture isn't this little foo-foo thing. 
And I love what you said about being able to show business leaders that culture map, right? Of why it matters, how it matters, and not just I'm paying you your salary and I give you benefits, but that's not what people want. They want to be able to have, like during the pandemic, flexibility to be able to take their kids to school, then hop back on the computer or whatnot if there's that flexibility. They want to feel valued and heard and be part of bigger conversations too, right? People want to feel like they're part of a company making decisions and giving their, you know, their their two cents on something. They want to be heard in some of those topics. Um, you mentioned it tying into the retention thing, Kathleen. It it there's a direct correlation to all of this. If somebody feels, yeah, they get paid, right? But if they also have a flexible work schedule, they feel valued, their leaders are asking them for their input. Maybe before that survey, their leaders are actually asking them, hey, what are these three things that, that you want instead of just thinking they know these answers, right? There are companies out there that are making these baby steps. And that's one of the things that I love this podcast is bringing in some of those company leaders to be able to showcase some of those things that they're doing. Evolved MD as a company we had on a couple weeks ago, we had Centauri And I'm looking at Daryl, he's nodding. Because one of the things that Centauri talked about was one of the main things that they they look at as far as for their employees, their numbers and what they're hitting, their statistics and stuff is actually based on self-care. So they have to, at the beginning of the year, pick what is their thing that they're going to do for self-care. It goes on the calendar. It goes into it. They actually are pulling metrics from it. So I could say that I want to be able to run another Spartan race and I need to run X amount of miles a day. Daryl could say I need to do more yoga or whatever. We can have our own ones. We don't know what it is, but they've figured out a way to actually have metrics attached to it. So by the time it's time for a raise, there is a way that they've associated which I just think is freaking phenomenal in a way that still respects that person for whatever their self-care goals were, but they've tied it into the metrics. So you're only cheating yourself. It has nothing to do with your sales goals or anything like that. They truly are focusing on their people in that space. And if you don't meet those metrics, you don't get your bonus for the year. And it's just you. Right? It's on you whether you were going to do yoga or go for a run or sit in nature, whatever it is. Say hi to 10 people in a day, whatever it is. They've figured it out, which I think is awesome. I have something to tag with that because one of the things that I do with the companies I work with is we do for the Mindful Resilience program that can be live or virtual. But basically, the idea is, is to layer this, right, to get these ideas. So first of all, understand it have tools I can use right now that I can shift my nervous system right now. Yeah. Or on the physical side, the self-care for the muscular skeletal stuff. So we do um, a 30-day challenge that is individual to each person, what their goal is, whether they want to do mindful resiliency, they got stress, anxiety issues, or they have a physical, like my hip is killing me and I can't get out of a chair and I would like to be more flexible. Mm -hmm. So we do that for the 30 days. And so what that's doing is 10 minutes a day, mm-hmm. right? And their companies are supporting this. So they literally like, okay, from this 8 to yeah. 8, 20 to 8, 30 is your time to do your stuff mm-hmm. for your challenge. And then, so they're competing with themselves, right? Because 
it's why they want to do it. Mm-hmm. Like nobody is like, yeah, everybody knows they should exercise. But if like I've had clients who are like, you know, literally something as simple as like, I'd like to be able to get down on the floor and play with my grandkids and get back up. Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes <laughs> it's not a happy deal. Other times it's major stuff that, you know, uh, one woman, she was, you know, she had had um, uh, an accident. She was on meds for years, literally. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't participate in any of her company stuff. And then when she was able to release that out of her body during the challenge, she's like, I just got my marriage back because now every morning I get to walk with my husband Hmm. and we now have time to talk together that we haven't had in six years. And I like, what's that worth? Right. And then, and then it's her, her, her company who is saying, look, we value you, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to provide this, but it's up to you. The self-responsibility part that we're talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. But to tie it into the metrics is the, is the perfect, that's the, that is the final piece. That's spectacular. Right. Cause it, it's a balance of, okay, this is on you. Yes. But it's the company saying, hey, we really want to support you in this. Mm-hmm. And so I just loved it because in that conversation, he's explaining, you know, there's other companies that they talk about self-care and the importance and, you know, oh, block it on your calendar. But they've actually tied it into a way that not only block it on your calendar, but at the end of that quarter or, you know, that year or whatever it looks like, you really had the ownership. It was really completely in your hands. They're just supporting you in the process. And and there's, you know, other companies that I think are hopefully learning and, and picking up on that. But I just thought it was really cool that they could spin it in a way to really find metrics, right? Like we were mm-hmm. talking, it's so hard because culture is so many things now. These companies have a, a really hard role supporting people in their work life, their home life, their financial life, yeah. yeah, their financial life. They have to support them and back them in all of these different areas. And so I think it's really cool that Evolved MD has figured out that piece because as leaders, right, at the end of the day, like we want there to be that perk in culture or the retention or whatever it is. So tying that in, I thought was just a fabulous thing. Good job, Evolve MD. Yeah. Man, that was spectacular. Yeah. Um, so, so we can actually make a good business case for why culture matters. If, mm-hmm. if, if, that, if for those leaders who are doubting uh, and kind of think it's more woo-woo, um, and I'll, I'll attempt to make that case right now. So it's based on the framework of strategic purpose drives sustainable profits. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take us through business evolution in four steps. Business 1.0 was the economic uh, Friedman model. The only reason a business existed was to generate profit. So you could deforest, you could sell tobacco to kids. All those were just incidentals. But as long as you maximize your profit for your shareholders, not your stakeholders, just your shareholders, that's your reason for existing. That was 1.0, profit first. 2.0, and added a human to the equation. Hallelujah. The entrance of a human being, and this was customer first. And this was predicated on you take care of your customer, they'll take care of your profits. That's 2.0. Well, that came with some baggage. Like the customer is always right. Mm -hmm. The customer is not always right. You can't walk into one of our branches and yell at our employees and act very uncivilized and think that that's going to be okay. That's not okay. But at least we've added a human to the equation predicated on if you actually care about the customer, again, not shareholder now, but they pivoted to customer. That'll get you your profit. Three auto. This was based on culture. This is kind of where we're at in the conversation so far, which is 
the customer experience experience rarely exceeds the employee experience. So you want to take care of your customer. You need to take care of your employees. That'll take care of your customer. That'll take care of your profit. And that's welcome to culture, right? So now we're thinking about how do we navigate the employer's, employee's relationship and how keep the quality of their life and their satisfaction up because then they're more likely to deliver the kind of service we want for our customers. 4.0, which is aspirational, but something I think we should all work on is recognizing that actually purpose first. All the stakeholders in your ecosystem matter. So it's not just your employees or your shareholders or your customers. It's your, it's your partners. It's your community. It's the families. It's any individuals that are touched directly or tangentially by your enterprise. And if you take care of all those stakeholders now, not shareholders anymore, that'll take care of your profit. So strategic purpose can drive sustainable profits if you flip the script and attend to all the stakeholders in your ecosystem, not your ego system. Well, the profit first imperative was all about egos. And, and there was effectively a class system with the owners and then everybody else was somewhere down the food chain. Today, rightly understood, it's an ecosystem. It needs to be diverse. It needs to be inclusive. And all the stakeholders matter. And when you're attending to what I need to do to serve my employees, what do I need to serve my customers, what do I need to do to make sure we're a good corporate citizen, what do I need? When you're attending to all those aspects of your enterprise, because yes, businesses are arguably the biggest force for good out there. We can't rely on the government. We can't rely on the social sector. Not that they don't do important work, but businesses have a disproportionate ability to impact the future of our society. Absolutely. So forward-thinking business leaders, I would hope, will do a self-assessment of where they are on that continuum from 1.0 to 4.0 and try to move their organization and their shareholders forward, stakeholders forward, so that because it's enlightened self-interest, you're going to do better when they do better. Thank you. I feel like we just attended your TED talk. (laughs) I'm trying to write down all these notes. I'm like, this is so good. No, but that's so important, right? Because, and and when you look at the employee as the catalyst of all of that, really, mm-hmm. helping people who are in your business, helping them be their best selves, right? And and carrying that through when you say it's the CEO to, you know, the very last person on the list. Mm-hmm. When you're doing that, now you have an army of, of well-skilled Mm-hmm. people who can be creative, who can contribute. And now you have, you have a force, right? A, a amplified force mm-hmm. for good. If the leader is, in a, is aligned or coming from a place of consciousness, and then they are able to lead their teams to be that as well, it, what's possible is huge, mm-hmm. right? And then those other pieces of the ecosystem come into play naturally. Because you're going to have different perspectives. You're going to have diverse ideas of like, well, okay, people who are like, okay, my community is the most important thing. Other people are going to say the environment to me is the most important thing. And other people are going to say, well, you know, I'm analytical and I think our company should make more money because if we can do, we can do more great things. Mm -hmm. Right. So you get all of the perspectives that can come together when you are really seeing that your employees are your first, first most important. So I agree with that, Neville, very much. I love that. because it goes back to what we were saying about everybody kind of being part of it together. And then it 
in the end, your people become your best advocates. They become your best messengers. And then that ties into the retention and and people staying. And it all ties in, right? That's why I loved earlier that you said that about culture map. I'm like, that's so, I don't know how in the world we'd would draw this out because it because everything is connected in this conversation. Well, let's sit down and start drawing. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is our, our next let's sit mission. Down. How do we make That's this? Right. It'll be more like a big map, like a big web. It's a network. It's a network. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It's more it's, of more of a spider web than exactly a right. map because it's all going to connect yeah. all these conversations, these topics. And and that's what I love about this room and that this space because we pick at this a little more each time, right? And that and I love it. I also just looked at what time it is, and I am astonished, and I didn't think that's what time it was. So I have a few questions that I do want to ask. Well, no, that's a lie. I have way too many questions that I want to ask, but I now know what time it is, so I'm not going to. But I have a couple that I want to get in before we wrap up. One of them. A couple, actually, Neville and Kathleen, you had sent over. So for our listeners, one of the things that we do before we bring everybody in the show, yes, it's very much a casual conversation where it really does go in any direction, as you guys are seeing today. But we always have our guests submit a couple of questions that help guide maybe if there's something going on in their company that they want us to draw out in the conversation maybe we know about, we don't know about. So we always give the opportunity for our guests to kind of throw a couple questions And sometimes we get to them, sometimes we don't. But one of the questions that came up before this show that I do want to ask that's really just kind of a fun one. Neville, you said, if you were king or queen for the day, what one thing would you change? And I know that's not necessarily culture related, but I saw your question. I'm like, I love this question. So whether it it fits the conversation of culture or not, I do want to ask that question. I love it. So Neville, I'm going to ask you first, since you're the one who sent it, if you were king for the day, what would be one thing that you would change? And it doesn't necessarily have to fit into this conversation we've been going so, so, No, it, it totally can fit. Um, so first of all, the backstory on that question, along with its counterpart, uh, was uh, once I was um, sitting at a restaurant and the guy in the, in the next booth over is this very well-regarded um, expert on businesses. And he was saying, I can diagnose your business with just two questions. I'm like, oh, well, this sounds interesting. I want to hear what's coming up. Yeah. So the first one is, is a, a gap question. If there's, you know, one thing you could change, what would that be if you were king or queen? Mm-hmm. And the other is, what are you the best at in the whole wide world? Mm-hmm. And that's your strengths question. So that that's, if, if you're looking to boil the ocean on, you know, you don't have a lot of time to do a really long survey and you want to try to get the essence out. You do a gap analysis and you do the best of, and then that gives you some insights into where to go. So that's the backstory. So to answer your question, I think what, uh, if I were king or queen or however I self-identified for the day, I would would invite um, leaders to reframe what leadership meant to them and to their stakeholders. And I would invite them to be a little more intentional about not just the KPIs and performance indicators and things that can easily be measured, but attend to the things that can't be measured, like this conversation we're having around culture, around energy, around self-care, about uplifting humanity, about businesses as forces for good, and get to a higher order. You know, if you think about questions having a escalation, you, if you, the, 
the richer and the, the more powerful question you ask, the more likely you are to get to a powerful result and outcome. So don't settle for the easy peasy question that you know the answer to. Mm-hmm. Anybody can do that. Ask that higher order question. Understand there's a choreography to the questions you ask of yourself and others. And where you, if we all start asking higher order questions and answering them to the best of our ability together mm-hmm. through our collective wisdom, because there's no one of us that are as smart as all of us. So honor the collective intelligence of the ecosystem again, then I think we would end up uh, in a better place and on a journey forward in our evolution as a species. So that would be my king or queen question answer, which was actually meant for Kathleen to answer because I don't, didn't know the answer. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but well, good job. Ben. The panelists <laughs> questions. You, I'm laying it on you. So I mean, you I'm going to ask. Happens. Nice I'm going to ask her next. But... about is fair play, right? <laughs> I did my feeble attempt. What you got? <laughs> I just, I'm, you, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to use these two questions of yours. Right. I just love it. So me too. I, you gave it. So I wanted to get your side too. But yes, Kathleen, now the, we'll shift the question. If you were queen for the day, um, what would be something that you would change? I would change people's perception that they do not have more power. That I would change people's perceptions. They have incredible power. And it's right within them. And all they need to do is understand how it works so that they can wield it and help them understand that they're in here. They have a mind Mm -hmm. that thinks. They have a body that feels and moves. They have a heart that feels. But they're not any one of those things. They're the driver in here. They are the consciousness that allows them to choose and to choose anything. Mm -hmm. Right? So greater awareness and on those understandings. That's my queen for the day. Wish. I like that a lot. Um, It ties into, um, I was watching a a webinar that Brian Moore, who's here in Phoenix, was narrating and emceeing or whatever. And he said, we are human beings, not human doings. Yep. And I think about that all the time, and it ties into what your your queen wish would be. That's right. I like that. I was going to wish for mac and cheese to be accessible for everybody. But you guys had way better answers, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we know how you love mac and cheese, so that works out. I mean, I'm trying. I can have a better answer. But you guys had good answers, so we'll leave it at that. Okay, so I really hope that we can find a way to, first off, continue this conversation. Also, for the two of you to connect, because I feel like the level and the energy and the synergy with the two of you is is way outside of an hour conversation. Um, So I absolutely hope that the two or the three of us can continue this conversation. Before we do get off the air, I want to make sure that everybody knows as they're sitting here listening or driving in their truck to work, listening to this podcast, and they're like, oh, I need need to pick Neville's brain a little more, or Kathleen is perfect for my company. How do I connect with her? I want to make sure that you guys can connect with these listeners that are hoping to hear or connect with you. So Neville, if people are listening, what's the best way for them to reach and get in touch with you? So my email is Neville B, N-E-V-I-L-L-E-B at missionfed.com. And I have a weekly blog I put out called Soul Food Friday. You can find that at soulfoodfriday.com. Mm-hmm. And I just try to put some positive energy around these topics of well-being, leadership, 
education connection into the universe. I've been doing this for since 2013 or something. So soulfoodfriday.com or never be at missionfed.com. I love that. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I knew that you had that blog before and I forgot about it. So we'll connect and share that through our Culture Crush platforms too. We'll figure out how to make sure that gets out there. Kathleen, how about you? My email is kg at kathleengramsey.com. So K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N-G-R-A-M-Z-A-Y.com. I love that. The last thing, now that everyone knows how to reach you, the last thing that I will ask, I ask this to everybody that's on the show after we've had this conversation. Sometimes I already kind of have insight in what your answer is going to be, and sometimes I don't. But if you had to take your company culture and so Neville, your company, you know, with being at Mission Fed, and then Kathleen, you can look at it from that perspective of maybe what you're providing to others too. Mm -hmm. But if you had to summarize your company culture into one word, what would it be and why? Neville, what would yours be? It'd be caring Mm -hmm. because we've tried to foster an environment where we generally care about all the stakeholders. And I know healthcare. Is, has care in it, but I, I would instead of financial service, uh, financial care, I think, and financial inclusion would be important. But care would be the one word. I love that, Kathleen. What about you? It would be resilience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, especially with what you're doing to provide support for companies as a resource and a tool that's there to help them with building their people and building their team. Um, I think that's a good word for you as well. I love it. Thanks. Well, again, I'm I'm so excited that I had the chance to bring both of you into this conversation. I am not excited that it went by so quickly. I mean, I am excited, but now that was really fast and I still have so many things. So hopefully we can follow up and have more conversations. Maybe, maybe do a plan B, part two. Part, part two, yeah. right? No, I'd love that. That'd we're going we're gonna to have to because I still have other... And, and that's one of the things I love about these conversations, right? Is it very much is a conversation and I love it like that. I don't like going, you know, question number one, what's your answer? Question number two, what's your answer? But what that means when it's such a fluid conversation like this, that at the end, I have these oh shit moments of like, I have so many, <laughs> so many things yeah. I still want to know. So yes, I love and the... We, we, and we the could give your two. audience some experiences. We could teach yeah. them how to, uh, the kill switch for stress. We could teach them how, how to do a guided meditation. Yes. We, we, we could actually make it a, an experiential rather than just a conversation if, if you're a part. That's way more I fun. love that yeah. idea. So yes, the three of us will talk and we'll make that plan for, I like that as more of kind of a hands-on part two. Yeah, yes. absolutely. I like that. Okay. So yes, thank you to both of you. And then to everyone else, we just love that our listeners get the chance to be part of these conversations, learn about other resources, hear from company leaders about the things that they're doing. We are the culture improvement resource that supports companies and those leaders. Our purpose here is to improve company cultures so people want to go to work. Employees and leaders should like where they work, and we think that's possible. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Thank you for listening to another episode of Culture Crush, the only podcast out there that does a deep dive of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. If you think your company has a strong culture that should be highlighted, please reach out to Kendra Maples on LinkedIn or Email us at culturecrushpodcast at gmail.com.